0: Good morning. Good morning to our viewers online as well. So there were these two men who were survivors of a shipwreck. Uh, They were floating on a life raft, and after several days, they started giving up hope that they would ever be rescued. One of them said to the other, Do you think it'd do any good to pray? The other man said, Well, it couldn't hurt. Neither one of them had ever prayed before. Um, one of them remembered living next door to a church when he was a kid. Um, he'd often hear their Wednesday night meetings through an open window. And so the man bowed his head and he began to pray. He repeated the words that he remembered hearing through that open church window. Uh, when he was a kid they began to pray i-26 b-15 n-7 a-12 so there's nothing wrong with playing bingo uh, but i wouldn't want someone confusing bingo with prayer or worship I wouldn't say that that's authentic prayer or, or worship. This summer we're going to be going through uh, the Psalms. We're gonna to explore together what it looks like to authentically worship and pray to God. Like, what would happen if you told God how you really feel? Like, your raw, unfiltered, most intimate thoughts. Maybe you already do, but I suspect that there are some some of us here who could grow in this area. Um, Have you ever found yourself pretty much praying the same basic prayers over and over again without really opening up to the Lord? Have you found yourself praying through lists of people who needed prayer without really talking to God about your deepest pains? or your greatest struggles? Um, Have there been times in worship where you feel like you're going through the motions, right? Because all you want to do is like cry out in anger or pain to God. No other part of the Bible exposes our inner struggles more than the Psalms. Um, The Psalms reach beneath that surface layer to reveal both our authentic selves and the very heart of God. So as we go through the psalms this summer, we want to learn to worship and to pray more authentically, where we are we're unafraid to lay everything bare before him, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So I want to start out by talking about the significance of the psalms. Um, both throughout the Bible, and throughout the history of the church. Um, Psalms is one of the two Old Testament books most frequently quoted in the New Testament. Uh, The other one is the book of Isaiah. Jesus himself referenced the Psalms many times. Um, For instance, Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Another time, when Jesus uh, was debating with the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22, he referenced Psalm 110 to show that David was talking about Jesus in the Psalms. Matthew 22, 43, and 44 says, Jesus responded. Then why does David, speaking under the inspiration of the Spirit, call the Messiah my Lord? For David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. And of course, he's referencing Psalm 110, 1, which says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. And of course, uh, the famous uh, time when Jesus uttered the words of a psalm, it was Psalm 22, as he was dying on the cross. Um, it says, at about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And of course, he is is referencing Psalm 22, where it says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? So in their preaching and their writing, the apostles often quoted the Psalms as biblical proof. of The fact that Jesus was the promised Messiah referred to in the Old Testament. In Acts 2, Peter quotes Psalm 16 as proof that Jesus was raised from the dead. And then Paul references that very same psalm in Acts 13. The psalms have played a prominent role in the history of the church as well. Um, I think we can safely infer from a couple scriptures. One is Ephesians 5.19, the other Colossians 3.16, that the singing of the psalms was an extremely important part of corporate worship in the early church. Ephesians 5.19 says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And then Colossians 3.16, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. So not only did the church continue to sing the psalms, but the psalms have been really important to some of the most influential figures throughout church history. Um, St. John Chrysostom was one of the early church fathers. He served as the archbishop of Constantinople. Um, He wrote one of the very first commentaries on the book of Psalms. St. Augustine, you've heard of him, he wrote a commentary on the book of Psalms. Martin Luther, I mentioned him last week, Um, he was known for his love of the Psalms. He wrote the following, he said, the Psalter is the favorite book of all the saints. Each person, whatever his circumstances may be, finds in Psalms and words which are appropriate to the circumstances in which he finds himself and meets his needs as adequately as if they were composed exclusively for his sake and in such a way that he himself could not improve on them, nor find or desire any better psalms or words. Luther also had this to say about the psalms. He said, You may rightly call the Psalter a Bible in miniature, in which all things which are set forth more at length in the rest of the scriptures are collected into a beautiful manual of wonderful and attractive brevity. John Calvin called the book of Psalms an anatomy of all parts of of the soul. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, the German theologian, pastor, author, who was executed by the Nazis, um, he was deeply influenced by the Psalms. His last publication before he would be killed was titled The Prayer Book of the Bible, An Introduction to the Psalms which he wrote in 1940. On May 15th, 1943, Bonhoeffer wrote these words. He said, I am reading the Psalms daily as I have done for years. I know them and love them more than any other book in the Bible. Daily reading of the Psalms can have a profound effect on us as it did Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, Even when he was in a harsh prison in World War II, um, one of Bonhoeffer's co-prisoners wrote the following. He said, Bonhoeffer always seemed to me to diffuse an atmosphere of happiness, of joy in every smallest event in life, and of deep gratitude for the mere fact that he was alive. He was one of the very few men that I have ever met to whom his God was real and close to him. Klaus Westermann uh, was also imprisoned in World War II. In this case, um, he was a prisoner of war in a Russian prison camp. He was imprisoned with a copy of Luther's translation of the Psalms, which led to his writing of his commentary on the book of Psalms. The psalms are regularly uh, read and sung as part of the liturgy of the Roman Catholic Church, Eastern Orthodox churches. Um, In some cases, they will recite all 150 psalms within a week. Um, In the Anglican church, they'll go through all 150 psalms within typically a month. Church hymnals, those of us who grew up in a more traditional type of church, you know, church hymnals, they are, of course, filled with psalms. And then many modern worship songs draw heavily from the psalms, like uh, Matt Redmond's uh, Better is One Day, right? Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere, you know that song? Uh, That is taken from Psalm 84. So there are several reasons why the psalms have meant so much to the followers of Jesus over the years. Um. For one, as I've said, the Psalms give us license to honestly hold our feelings before the Lord. We're given the freedom to feel, to feel deeply and passionately. Um, The Psalms teach us beautiful lessons about what it means to authentically worship and pray to God that it's actually okay to struggle it's okay to feel deeply it's okay to cry out to God you can't get too far in the Psalms without noticing that they are rarely written from places of ease and comfort uh, many of the Psalms show us the personal struggle struggles of the psalmist um, this struggle could be because of an enemy they're facing. It could be because of God's silence or his seeming absence or generally just lamenting over their own failures, over their own sin. Um, Whatever the reason, the Psalms give voice to how we feel when things often aren't right in our lives. So take the first few verses of Psalm 77, for example. It says, I cry out to God. Yes, I shout. Oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing for his help. So, while we may not know exactly uh, what the situation is, these verses um, give voice to someone who's obviously struggling in their life. Further on in that very same psalm, the psalmist asks questions. Um, Questions like Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? So who hasn't, from time to time, asked these kinds of questions, right? It is a mistake to believe that being faithful to God means we always have to be pleasant and joyful in our Christian walk. Like it is even worse when we come to believe that only those who are weak in their faith go through times of struggle. It's not true. The Psalms show us that even, though, even those who are the strongest in their faith struggle. Um, struggling against some hardship in their life or against the enemy or even struggling with their own human failings. Um, None of that indicates weakness in our faith. Struggling is a part of life, and it is a part of faith in Jesus Christ. The Psalms teach us that it is okay to not be okay. So this morning, uh, the Psalm I want to talk about specifically is Psalm 1. Um, In this series, we're not preaching... Through the Psalms in any particular order. Um, I mean, I thought about that. Like we could do a a Psalm series of 150 weeks, three years. Wouldn't that be cool? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, we could do it every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I figured uh, we'd start with Psalm 1. Okay. Um, Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke. um, He was on the translation team for the NASB translation of the Bible, he called Psalm 1 the wicket gate, wicket gate for the whole book of Psalms. And that that phrase wicket gate uh, is a reference to John Bunyan's book, his allegory, called A Pilgrim's Progress. If you've not read that, I encourage you to read that. I read that in high school. Wasn't required, I just read it, but uh, it's a really powerful allegory. Um, in the story, the main character, his name is Christian, um, he had to go through the wicked gate in order to get to Christ. Right? So Walkie's basically saying that Psalm one is like it's like a warning sign over the whole book of Psalms saying don't treat these Psalms as trivial. Don't treat them as unimportant. Recognize them as the Lord's instructions to us. Like they are guidance to live a blessed life and to avoid destruction. So Psalm 1 opens with this word blessed. Um, Blessed is the one who doesn't do this but instead does this. So this blessedness is more than just a superficial happiness, um, which isn't very deep and can often like depend on our circumstances. Um, John Calvin, in his commentary on Psalms, says, blessedness means the person who lives this way shall always be well. Um, what we see right away in Psalm 1 is that there are two paths that lead to two very different lives with two very different outcomes. Um, it's reminiscent of a famous poem by Robert Frost called The Road Not Taken. You might be familiar with that. I won't read the whole thing. But the key line is this. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. So Psalm 1 is telling us something similar. Um, there are two roads diverging in front of us, Um, you have to take one, but you can only take one. And it really does make a difference which one you take. Um, Fortunately for us, God tells us about each of these two paths and the lives that each one of them leads to. The Bible often contrasts um, two roads that we can take. Like, there's a fork in the road ahead in our lives. Like, you can live one way or you can live the other. And the choice you make makes all the difference. In modern language, uh, the question might be something like this. Um, What will inform your thinking, your decision-making, your values? um, What will you turn to in order to learn to live your life? Verse 1 starts with what not to do. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. So the three phrases here are like a descending stairway um, where each step takes you further from God and his blessedness. First, we take advice from bad people. Right? Walk in step with the wicked. Then we adopt the lifestyle of bad people. Right? Stand in the way that sinners take. Third, we identify with these bad people. Right? Sit in the company of mockers. So there is a progression, or maybe a better word is a regression, uh, from walk to stand to sit. Uh, more and more, we, we internalize the principles of the world around us, which, as I said last week, um, the Bible says is ruled by the enemy. More and more, we identify with it. Um, the last step in this decline is being among the mockers. The mockers. Uh, mockers, in this case, are people who make fun of God, They make fun of people who follow God, and generally anything pertaining to God. So, respectful disagreement is one thing, um, but when we get to mocking something, you're saying something like, "Um, that's just stupid, and only stupid people would believe that kind of nonsense, right? It is a pretty deadly attitude because it is pretty far away from repentance, Um, that road will take us further and further and farther along the road away from the blessed life. Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't walk in step with the wicked. I don't stand in the way that sinners take, and I, I don't sit in the company of mockers. So this is not just ungodly people influencing us. Um, it's allowing others other things to influence us that are ungodly. what we read, what we listen to, what we watch, social media, even the news. Um, all of these can influence us, some of them in subtle ways and some in not so subtle ways. Is all media bad? No but a lot of it is. The reality is this, and I'm pretty sure this is the case. I think most of us are far more influenced by media, all those things that I just, or some of those things that I just mentioned, than by the Word of God. If we consume media, let's say 15 hours a week, and we read the Bible even two hours a week, Which one, over time, is going to influence us more? And I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. Um, As a pastor, I I read the Bible a lot. Um, I typically read through the Bible in my devotions um, each year, right? Um, I do it in a way that I don't typically recommend to people. So in January, I start at the beginning, Genesis 1, and then I just read through to the end and try to finish before the end of the year. I've done that for years. Each, each year I'll do it in a different translation just to try to keep it, keep it fresh. And of course, I study the Bible um, when I'm preparing sermons. But even with all of that, right? Talking about authenticity. Even with all of that, um, I probably spend more time watching shows and movies. Netflix, Hulu. Amazon Prime. Anybody here know the phrase binge watching? I've done that. <laughs> I, probably have, I probably spend more time doing those things than reading and meditating on God's word. I did last Christmas uh, get off of social media. Some of you like thought I unfriended you. I didn't. I just got off altogether, because I, I read this book, uh, it's called Digital Minimalism by Cal uh, Newport, there it is, uh, and it's a secular book. But it, it encouraged me to, to get off of that, uh, of social media. Um, so I don't sit there mindlessly scrolling through my feed anymore, and I find I'm, I'm reading now, not more now, uh, that I'm off of social media. Another one, sports. Ooh. Uh, we can spend hours and hours watching sports. Sports are not bad, per se, um, but I've seen guys um, watch hours, who, they watch hours of sports, struggle to read their Bible even 15 minutes a day. Right? I, I've never struggled much with watching sports, um, but both my father and my grandfather did. Like, in both their cases, like, hours and hours in watching football. My grandfather literally died of a heart attack sitting in his chair watching football. That is the truth. So are all of these bad, um, like Netflix and Facebook and ESPN and the news? No, they're not. Uh, But as I'm preaching on this, uh, I'm asking myself this very question. Am I more influenced by the media I watch or by the word of God? The blessed person in Psalm 1 is blessed um, first because he's influenced more by the word of God than by anything else. And he doesn't just read it, he meditates on it. So the word meditate here uh, literally means to mutter. Um, so in other words, this person is regularly muttering the Bible, right? You ever try to memorize something? That's what you do, you kind of mutter, you know, like. Um, so when I memorized this psalm, I, I memorized it in the NIV 1984. So mine is not genderized, it says he. Anyway, I, sometimes I nerd out. All right, anyway, so so when I was memorizing, it was like, "Blessed is the man who is not walking the counsel of the wicked." Blessed is the man who is not walking the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the man who is not walking the counsel of the wicked. And blessed is the man who does not walking the counsel of the wicked. We're saying the way, of sinners, saying the way, of sinners, saying the, the way, of sinners. It's muttering, right? You get it in your bones. You get it in your skin. Um, and the the only way we can meditate on God's word is when, is if we get it in us, which means. Uh, memorizing it. Many of you know that I'm a coffee drinker. Um, I definitely like good, strong coffee. Um, You may not know that I also like tea. Uh, My go-to is Earl Grey, but um, I like all different kinds. So what would happen if I dipped my tea bag in in hot water For like one or two seconds and then pulled it out. Right? Not much. There'd be little flavor. Like basically, I'd just be drinking hot water. It's better to let that tea bag steep for a few minutes so the tea permeates the water. In a similar sense, when we don't spend much time meditating on God's word, um, it really only dips into us very briefly. And we don't let it soak into our soul. We don't have that joy uh, that we can experience like Bonhoeffer had uh, that is independent of whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, right? It is a transformative thing to meditate on on a couple verses throughout our day, throughout our week, and to let those verses soak into our soul. And the cool thing is that the more we do that with different scriptures, the more we get them memorized. And when that happens, uh, we've always got it with us, no matter like where we go, no matter what happens in our lives. Um, someone told me a long time ago that getting an education was a good investment, because no matter what happens, no one can take that away from you. Whatever you believe on that, whether you believe it or not, um, it is true that once you're educated, whether that's vocational training, whether that's simply learning to think critically, to articulate more clearly, um, or just exposing yourself to the great thinkers throughout history, um, no one can take that away from you. Scripture memorization is like that. And once you have them in you, you can use those scriptures to encourage yourself and others. It's a win win. I teach practically how to memorize scripture in the class here uh, called Life Church 201. Um, If you haven't taken that, if you haven't taken 101, um, we are offering those again this fall, and you can sign up for them today, either in the Grow Guide or on the app or on the website. Um, And if you haven't signed up for a summer group, um, today is the day, because this is the week they all, or most of them, are starting. So, verse 3 of Psalm 1, the psalm we're in today, says this. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So trees are frequently mentioned in the Bible um, and they often have a lot of significance. In addition to this verse from Psalm 1, uh, Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17, verses 7 and 8, says this. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They'll be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It leaves Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So to be like a tree planted by streams of water is to have a regular supply of nourishment and refreshment plants growing near water um, are easily sustained right and they can thrive water is the ultimate source of life for a tree right they need light too but just trying to make my point Um, so to be planted by a body of water is to have a regular supply of life itself This means that a tree planted by water will typically grow to be strong um, and sturdy, have a good root system. Also, such a tree, if it's this kind of a tree, uh, will consistently bear fruit, right? And a well-watered tree has the ability to provide shade and therefore rest to anyone who is in need. So it grows strong, it bears fruit, and it provides shade. When we delight in and meditate on the Word of God, as the blessed blessed person does, right, in the Psalm that we're setting today, Psalm 1, we too become like a tree planted by streams of water. We'll be firmly rooted, and Jesus, our ultimate source of life, right, our living water, will bring nourishment, will bring refreshment, Um, Then we'll consistently bear fruit, like Galatians 5 says, and we'll be able to provide shade and rest to others who are burdened, who are in need. So we see this imagery again in another psalm, Psalm 92, uh, verses 12 through 15 says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree, they will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. So on to uh, verse 4 of our psalm today. It says, not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. So I grew up in the suburbs in in Florida, um, and I have zero experience with farming, so I had to look this up. Um, Some of you I know are farmers, so I apologize if I get this wrong. You can tell me afterwards. Uh, Apparently, when you harvest wheat, you gather wheat into sheaves, sheaves, Uh, you bring the sheaves to the threshing floor uh, where you separate the wheat berries from the stalk. Um, In that pile that's left, you have chaff and you have the wheat grain. The chaff is the outer husk of the kernel, uh, on the kernel of wheat, that's essentially useless, right? Um, So you have this huge pile of wheat and chaff mixed together, how do you separate it? Um, well, since the chaff is so light, it's like, it's like dust, and the wheat grain is much heavier, um, you just throw it up in the air, right? And the slightest breeze will blow the chaff away, and then the wheat grain falls to the ground. Again, the wheat grain is the good part, but the chaff, chaff is useless. Um, it is as insignificant as dust. So we can see this, the contrast that the psalmist is making. The path of the person who regularly feeds on God's word and makes it the primary influence in his life results in being a person who is blessed themselves and who can be a blessing to others. That other path uh, results in the person being cursed, being insignificant, and unanchored, where the slightest breeze affects you and blows you away. So verses five and six, uh, they say, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Verse five is a reference to uh, what's called in scripture, uh, the day of the Lord. It's that day of final judgment when Jesus will judge both the living and the dead. Uh, This person will be judged. And verse 6 says, the way of the wicked leads to destruction. That doesn't just mean death. Uh, That means spending eternity enduring the torments of hell. The one who forsakes the word will be cursed the Word of God, and the living Word of God, the Word made flesh, who is Jesus Christ. So Psalm 1 presents two very different paths that lead to two very different lives with two very different outcomes. You want a one-sentence summary of this message? Delight in and meditate on the Word the Word of God, which is the Bible, and the Word made flesh, who is Jesus. And let the Word influence you more than anything else. One of the beautiful things about the Psalms is that, like time and again, we see the Psalm writers authentically come to God with their fear, with their anger, with their uncertainty, with their disappointment, um, and in spite of what they're going through, the word acts as an anchor to our soul, bringing them back to center, back to being rooted in him, right? That's, that's what the writer of Hebrews calls it. Hebrews 6, 19 says, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls, It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. The idea that that God can take us at our worst and bring us back to center, rooting ourselves back into him, like that idea I think is best expressed in Psalm 62, 5 through 8, which I'll close with. Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. O my people, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart to him, for God is our refuge. Let's pray. Lord, you are our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Thank you, God, that no matter what we're going through, our fears, our struggles, even our brokenness and the mistakes we've made, You are the anchor for our soul. You are our rock and our salvation. Lord, help us be like those trees that are planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in its season, and whose leaves do not wither. Help us be rooted in you, having your wisdom, your righteousness your blessedness, and your peace. We give you all glory, honor, and praise. In your name we pray, amen.